Again, it's good to see you and good to be back with you. Thank you so much for your prayers for me while I was there. I will, uh, during our time waiting on the counting of the ballots this morning, I'll share just a, a moment, one of the things. One Wednesday night soon, as soon as I get uh, all the pictures together, I'll, I'll tell you about the week and, uh, and some of what the Lord's doing and uh, some things that I think we can probably help with down there again real soon. Well, for now, though, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's inerrant word, Acts chapter 6. Familiar passage to many of you. We've, we've looked at it several times, both as, as uh, we preach through the book of Acts, but also different times as we've considered the, the nominating, the electing, the installation of elders and deacons in the past. And I thought here on this day when we're voting on an associate pastor and as we've just come off nominations for elders and deacons and we have some new men to be considered over the coming months for the office of deacon and one for the office of elder in addition to those already serving, it'd be a good time to revisit this simple little passage. And uh, so let's do this this morning. Acts chapter 6. Now let me, before I read this, let me just set the context for you. We've had the great event of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, as we saw when we considered John chapter 7 with the coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness. The Holy Spirit, of course, was already uh, always existing, always active in his people of the old covenant. And yet at Pentecost, we see as with Christ coming in the flesh, in the fullness of time, Christ came in the fullness of time, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in his full work to carry on to the end of this age. Uh, chapter three and four are about the church at work. Chapter five, we have this episode that everything's going really well. And then Ananias and Sapphira, this couple with, uh, with, with goods, and they sold some property and they decided, you know what? We want to keep part of the funds from this sale of this property. Which would have been perfectly fine. God's not a communist. I don't know that he's a capitalist either, but he's not a communist. We know that. And so they lie to Peter and the apostles. Did you sell this land for so much? Yes, we sold it for this amount. Here, we're giving it all. Well, they weren't giving it all. So Peter said, why have you grieved the spirit? Today, your soul. Ananias fell dead. By the way, folks, people say, you know, I, sometimes I just wish God still did, you know, the Ananias thing to people. Well, I'm not so sure he doesn't. That's another point for another day. Sapphira comes in, says, what happened to my husband? He came in, he's been in the store way too long. That's what I usually say about Carol when she goes, I just got one thing to get just real quick. Stay right here. I'll be right back. So Anna, uh, Sapphira comes in and they said, what happened? She, he said, uh, 
Peter said, hey, uh, Sapphira, uh, Ananias said y'all sold this property for so much. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Dead on the spot. Why? Peter tells us because you lied to the spirit. By the way, those two prove the personality of the Holy Spirit, that he is one of the persons of the Godhead. Now, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 5 goes on and finishes, and chapter 6 comes, and the first thing we read in chapter 6 is that the people aren't being as free with their goods as they had been before. And so some of the members of the church are being neglected, not being taken care of. I think it's pretty clear from the flow of the passage from chapter 5 to chapter 6, what happened was people were scared to death. Ananias and Sapphira gave and died. And so people kind of got cautious about, well, how, how do we do this without getting in trouble? Well, you just be honest with God. That's how you do it without getting in trouble. And so the people are being neglected now, whereas before they weren't. Chapter 3, they're not being neglected. Chapter 4, they're not being neglected. Chapter 6, they are an intervening episode. Ananias and Sapphira seems to be the answer to the quandary of why are they being neglected now because people had become fearful that they might make a mistake in their giving and they might suffer. And so we read, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greeks among them, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, there were people who were being cared for by the church and they were being neglected. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, this is not being done and it's not our place as apostles to do it. Somebody needs to be doing this, this work of serving the people. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint. Now that word appoints pregnant. Appoint. We will consider, we'll contemplate, we'll pray about, we'll, 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 we'll assess them, and we will then, we'll then put them over this task to do this duty. But we, the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. In other words, they ordained them. After that sequence, they were set before the apostles the consideration, they prayed about it, and then ultimately they laid their hands on them. They, uh, uh, they ordained them to the office. They, they installed them to the work. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers and the 
flower fades, but the word of our God endures always and forever. Let's pray about it. Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that you would teach us, that you would, you would stimulate us, that you would, you would give us great, great zeal for your word, that we might believe it and go out of this place loving to do your word, not just to be hearers only. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while the primary focus of this passage is on the office of deacon, the ones who are going to be serving, you may say, well, I don't see the word deacon here at all. And it is there because it's the serving or the diaconing of the tables. That's what the word at its etymological basis means, is servant. It's a servant. So there's a sense in the general sense that we're all deacons. We're all to be serving one another. This is partly where a lot of contemporary confusion comes up with people ordaining women to be deacons. Well, Phoebe was called a, a servant, a deacon. Well, yeah, but so was our Lord Jesus Christ, and he was not a deacon. He was the king of the church. You have to be careful. There's the general use of the term. There's the 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 specific or the or the the uh, the official use of the term for the office of deacon, and here it's obvious that people in general were not serving the people; they needed specific servants to lead the work, and so we're to pick out these seven men because they're being neglected in the service, the distribution of the elements to the people, the goods that they needed. There's a couple of things we need to note, even though this is primarily about deacons and the office of deacon and the choice of deacons, we've also got this other party, the apostles here. And we need to remember that the apostles, along with the Old Testament prophets, they, they form the foundation of the church, Paul says to the Ephesians. And we know that foundations are meant to be laid one time, not multiple times. You don't put foundations upon foundations upon foundations. You don't end up with a building that way. You build a foundation and then you start stacking the stones. We, Peter says, we're the stacking stones. We're the stones to be building up the house, hold of faith off the foundation that the apostles laid. So, the apostles here are doing apostolic work, helping to establish this, this important, ordinary office of the diaconate. But they're not intended to be permanent. But we have to also remember that as the spiritual office, notice what they're responsible for. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. But then it goes on. We're going to, we need these men. We'll appoint these men to the duty so that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's their primary responsibility as apostles. They then pass that on to the ordinary office of the eldership. That's what the elder is supposed to be doing. Praying 
and preaching and teaching the word. Yes, bound up in the term elder is, is the concept of the bishopric and the pastor. We're to rule as elders, we're to pastor as elders, and we're to oversee everything as elders. Deacons, as you'll, if you'll see here, they're the ones who are appointed or are or, or, or put to the task of caring for the people, the duties, under the oversight of these apostles. Under the ordinary terms of the church now, under the oversight of the elders. So we have both offices spoken of here in chapter 6. One, in its extraordinary sense, the apostle who will ultimately become the elder. By the way, we see that transition already taking place in the New Testament in people like John. The apostle John writing the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And by the end of that, he's referring to himself as a fellow elder in the church. So he's taking on an ordinary role. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he, when he gives us instruction for the elders of how they're supposed to lead, not with compulsion, but with compassion by example. And he refers to himself there, Peter, as a fellow elder with the elders of the church there. So that transition is already taking place from the apostolic extraordinary office to the elder ordinary office. So we have both the offices right here, and we have their primary work set forth for them right here in this little passage. I don't want to be long on this because we don't have to be. It's very simple. Let's not complicate it. The first thing I want you to see is just what I have noted here is the compassion that's in this. The apostles hear this complaint. Uh, I remember reading uh, back when I was doing the sermon preparations for uh, the book of Acts, reading uh, Jim Boyce's commentary on the book of Acts. And Boyce just simply echoes what you read in a lot of commentators, and that is one of the main things about this passage to take, in, take to heart is the compassion that's being shown here. On the front end, the lack of compassion, but then they fix that because of the compassion of the church toward the people in need. Now these apostles could have been just like some of you gentlemen are sometimes. When your children complain, well they just complain. They complain about everything. They grumble. Yesterday they wanted a hamburger. I got them a hamburger. Today they they don't know what they want. I got them another hamburger and they're complaining that I gave them a hamburger two days in a row. They just complain. And what happens with complainers, grumblers? You soon don't take them seriously, right? You're just, that's just who he is. He just grumbles. And so Boyce points out the apostles could have just taken that approach. Oh, they're just grumbling. Those Greeks grumble. Grumbling Greeks. But they didn't. They considered it. That's a good lesson for us all. And particularly for the officers of the church, for the elders and the deacons. Somebody's grumbling, and I know that never happens around covenant. But 
were it to happen, one of these new folks coming in don't know that you don't grumble at covenant, and they grumble a little bit. And so they'll have to learn to be like covenanters and not grumble. But maybe they're grumbling, and it's easy for us just to kind of shrug that off. But we need to pause and consider, is it a legitimate complaint? Well, the elders here paused. They were spiritual men. They should have been. They paused and they considered, and they decided, you know what, this is a problem. They've got a legitimate complaint. And we need to meet this complaint. And by the way, we can meet this complaint. I don't have time to go into this. Personally think what's going on here is that they realized that 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 particular work of the Levitical order that had the, the care of the mercy needs of the church in mind in the old covenant was, had, been, had kind of dropped out of sight and they realized we need to pick that back up. That aspect of old covenant care, that there be no poor among you. Now that didn't mean, because our Lord said there'll always, you'll always have the poor with you. And so when you read in the book of Leviticus and you read that uh, God says, uh, if you'll do what I'm telling you, there won't be any poor among you. Well, the reason they were doing what they had to do was because there were poor among them. But if you do what I tell you to do for the poor, you won't have poor people persisting among you to where they, their needs are not ever met. They're always going to be coming to us, but we're always supposed to be meeting the needs. That's the principle. That's the old covenant principle. And here they say, oh, we've got to meet those needs. We've got to meet the needs. Just like in the book of Leviticus, God told us to. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. And so they choose from among themselves the men as they're instructed to. And they show compassion for the people and for their needs. You notice also in this passage the primary qualifications for the offices. And this goes for both offices. Do you notice what it was? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. That parallels in 1 Timothy chapter 3 with being above reproach. The very first qualification listed for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and verse 8, is that they be above reproach. In other words, they be of a good reputation. They be of good repute. We have a dilemma in the PCA right now. We have men in office, in the office of minister, who do not have good repute in the communities in which they live, and they're serving as ministers of the gospel. And we can't decide in the PCA what a good reputation would look like. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our church. She has, she is, I told the Sunday school class this morning, the new members class, that wonderful character Catherine Hepburn played in the Philadelphia story. And she looks at her former husband. She called him Dex. Oh, Dex, I'm an unholy mess of a girl. And he said, yes, you are, Red. And we're an unholy mess of a church. And so we, we, but we love the church. I want to use the Hepburn 
character's words, an unholy mess, rather than Luther's term for the church. It's a whole lot nicer than Luther used for the church, and yet we love the church, and so we pray for We've got to realize we need men in offices who have good repute, good reputations, above reproach. And that would be in the sight of the church as well as the world, full of the spirit. So they have to be spiritual men, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. They seek the wisdom of God on a regular basis and of wisdom. Men of good reputation, men led and guided by the Holy Spirit, and they seek the wisdom of God on a regular basis. The book of James tells us we don't have wisdom because we don't ask for wisdom. Jesus said, ask and seek and knock and I will give. And we just flounder around not knowing what to do when all we have to do is ask of the Lord. So the deacon is a spiritually gifted man. Now you're going to see these these. These summary statements, good repute, full of the spirit, full of the wisdom, all fleshed out in 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following. I'll let you read those later. Likewise, for the elders, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Those three big pictures, umbrella qualifications, good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, fleshed out in those seven verses. That's the primary qualification for each man. Now, those men are then distinguished in their labors. One's primary role is that of servant, the very core of the word deacon. And the primary function of the other, the apostles carried on by the office of elder in the church today, is prayer and ministry of the word. Those are the qualifications, the primary qualifications. And as we approach a congregational vote uh, today to call another pastor into the charge of the, of the office of elder here, it's refreshing to know that uh, this man, Sean Morris, has the testimony of a number of, of godly men around the PCA of being a man who meets those qualifications without a question mark. Some of you don't know that the committee, the way they started, was by asking men that we know here and trust who are in the ministry, do you have any recommendations for us? Somebody you would want to be your associate pastor. And this man's name came from the first two men that we contacted. And I was not among those men contacted. And their testimony is, this is a man of good repute, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. This is the testimony that we're basing the call upon today. So what are the contribution of these these men, these deacons, and these elders that are successors of these apostles here? Well, we've already said they're supposed to be compassionate. 
we see that they're supposed to have these qualifications. And by the way, as we talk about the contribution that the elders and deacons make to the church, uh, one of the things that was on that little sheet of paper that was in the narthex that you took and you wrote in names on, it said, and it was italicized, that anyone that you're going to nominate needs to already be doing this work. I clap my hands. Already doing the work. C.H. Spurgeon had a problem with human ordination. Now, he was a Baptist, so we can excuse that. But part of the problem was legitimate. His problem was, and this was Spurgeon's thing, you can't put in what God left out. So just by laying on, as he said, empty hands on empty heads, you can't put gifts in that man. You're only, and his whole point in all that was not to deny the, the, the office and not to deny the act of ordination. His whole point was, unless that man's already spiritually gifted and shown himself to be a teacher of the word, or unless that man's spiritually gifted and already been doing the deacon work, as, a, as an old black minister I heard say once, if he ain't deaconing, he ain't a deacon. You weren't even supposed to put those men's name on the list if he, you didn't already see them serving in all the mercy ministry, physical keep of the church, physical care, responsibility, compassion, all those things. We get this strange notion sometimes, folks, that, well, if we nominate them and we elect them, then they'll, then they'll get busy. And I want to testify with one billion other ministers in the history of the world, that ain't ever worked. I heard Bill Shishko, one of the, one of the really fine OPC ministers that's graced the pulpit through the years, a dear friend of mine, he's, he asked me one day, he said, have you ever known of anyone who wasn't a deacon being elected a deacon, ordained a deacon, and becoming a deacon? I said, no. He said, I haven't either. And every church has tried that in their history. They've tried getting men busy by putting them in offices. When I used to work with the mission groups, state missionary statesmen out on the field would say, please, if they're not doing the work of an evangelist at home, if the testimony of their church is that they're not evangelizing and working in the church, please don't send them to us because they won't do it down here either. Just because you send them to another country, they won't suddenly become a Christian, act like a Christian, walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian. And that's the case with men for the offices. So over the next few months, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about with, with men like Alan Lay, whom you nominated to be an elder of the church, and Philip Chesser as a deacon, and Luke Dinkeldine as a deacon, and somebody else as a deacon. Somebody help me. Dustin. Dustin Thomas. He's easy to forget, isn't he? Dustin Thomas. So we're going to be we're going to be talking and praying and studying and considering and seeing if that's really God's call upon their lives.
And if it is, then you'll see their names on a ballot later in the year. And if it's not, that's okay too, because we have a place for everybody to serve in some capacity around here. You don't have to be an officer. In fact, not everybody's supposed to be. As somebody that I asked if he'd be willing to consider a nomination said, well, if, if, if everybody's an officer, who'd be doing anything? We need people who come alongside the officers and do the work of the church. That's equally important. So the deacons are primarily responsible for the physical upkeep of the physical property so that we have a place to do what we're doing right now and do it in, in, the, in the best, least distraction that we can. For the fiscal blessings of the church to be carefully used for the temporal needs of the church. For the compassionate care, what we often call the mercy ministry of the church for all the physical needs of people. And then that, that, that delegatory role that they have that's, that's pointed out for all of us, but it's particularly important for the deacon in Hebrews where we're told that we're supposed to let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And the office of deacon is particularly important for considering how to stimulate us to love and good works. And of course, for the elders, the primary contributions they make are set forth right there clearly. Prayer and ministry of the word. And notice there's, a, there's an order that's given to this. That is the prayer comes first and then the ministry of the word. So pray as the people of God, pray for your deacons that they will do their work faithfully and that you might offer yourself to them to, to help in any way that you can. And for your elders, pray for them that they would be more prayerful and that they would, they would be in the word of God studying and ready to teach the classes as they need to teach them. And for your pastor to preach and to teach as he is preaching and teaching. And when all of that's working together, notice what we're told in verse 7. After all of this is done, after the, the needs are being met, the office is, is, is solidified here in these six godly men as deacons. We read in verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So much so, and then the illustration is thrown on, so much so that some of the priests of the Jewish church were converted. They came to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and servants in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how powerful the effect was when the church took the compassion seriously 
and ordered the church rightly so that it did everything it was supposed to be doing the way it was supposed to be doing it, the word of God increased. It went forth. Jesus said, they'll know you by the way you love one another. The word of God will go as far as our love for one another will take it. If the people of the community know that we don't like each other and we don't love each other, we talk about each other, they won't believe a word we have to say. But if they know we love one another, then they'll know something has changed us and that something is the word of God. That'd be a great day, wouldn't it? For the word of God to go with increase and that the numbers would multiply, multiply, but not just multiply. Did you notice? Greatly multiply. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for that to happen at covenant. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time in your word. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.